Heavenly Father, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Would you help me this morning to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It is in the name of Christ, our Savior, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Zebulun and Naphtali, those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. We didn't read from the Old Testament this morning, but I would like to go back a few hundred years before Jesus because Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, who was writing well before Jesus was born. Uh, you may recall, if you know your Old Testament, that under Saul, the disparate tribes of that were descended from the patriarch Israel, were united under a single king. And then David succeeded Saul, and Solomon succeeded his father David, ruling a single kingdom. But after Solomon's death, the kingdom is split in two over a number of issues, including the matter of who was the rightful successor. And generations later, Isaiah was ministering in the southern kingdom, it's Jerusalem, Judah, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, as they were witnessing the decline and fall of the northern kingdom. The lands of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were among the very first to be taken captive by the Assyrian Empire. And as the kingdom fell, the people of Israel understood this tragedy. God's promised plan of salvation was failing. The living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rachel, Leah, Rebecca, Moses, and David, their heroes of the faith, had covenanted with his chosen people. Isaiah and his contemporaries were watching it fall apart. Can you imagine having to wrestle with what looks for all intents and purposes like broken promises of God? I will be your God and you will be my people forever. And of course, they understood at some level it wasn't God breaking his promise. They had broken the promise, and now there is nothing that can be done. They are helpless. In fact, I know a few of your stories. Some of you, maybe many of you, can in fact imagine wrestling with those kinds of questions, that kind of paradigm-shifting disappointment. But in the midst of this darkness... Isaiah and other prophets has given a glimmer of hope that despite the grim circumstances, despite the hopelessness, God has not abandoned the covenant. There will be good news after all. And then they died and things actually got worse for a while. Hundreds of years later, For those dwelling in the region of shadow and death, on them a light has dawned. We live every bit as much in a world of shadow and death, and on our own we are every bit as helpless as Zebulun and Naphtali against the invading forces of evil and death, except that a light has come to us from heaven. 
Jesus has been revealed. And so, if you have felt too many times the pain brought by death, if you have found yourself oppressed by sin, your own or others, if you have been utterly unable to fashion your life according to the hopes and dreams or the expectations put on you by others, on you a light has dawned. The night is over. Jesus has come. And he came into the very darkest, the, you know, the place that was very first, very darkest, Zebulun and Naphtali. After his cousin John is unjustly imprisoned, Jesus takes up John's prophetic ministry, urging people to turn away from self-centered sinfulness and toward God's kingdom. In Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, which encompasses that, that northern, or much of that northern kingdom is, is in Galilee, including Zebulun and Naphtali. In the very place where it seemed like God's plan at first failed, God's light floods in through Jesus' preaching. That God is not abandoned. He's not absent. In fact, he is living, dwelling, inhabiting that place. Dwelling with those who are in darkness. And Jesus has in mind something more than just telling people that God has come near. He intends to demonstrate God's power and, and reveal what God's kingdom is actually like. It's not like the kingdom that must be defended by swords and through warfare. It's not like the kingdom that can fall apart and be overrun. A new kind of kingdom. And the very first thing Jesus does is call a community into being. Before he begins that, that active ministry, he calls to Simon Peter, to Andrew, to James and John. He calls them. In all likelihood, as Pastor Mike explained last week, they had probably heard Jesus speak some before now because last week, well, we heard them hear Jesus and John was still ministering. But now when Jesus called, they followed immediately. They did not fit him into lives that were already pretty full. They did not weigh the practicality of following an itinerant rabbi while maintaining you know, a fishing business or their standard of living. They did not wait to see if Jesus would become more socially acceptable. He called, and immediately they followed. And Jesus takes this fledgling community on the road, touring Galilee. He continues teaching and preaching the good news of God's kingdom, that it has come near and healing every sort of affliction, right? Doing all sorts of signs and all sorts of people take notice and find themselves drawn in from Galilee, you know, the, the, the locals, from, and from Jerusalem and Judea. Now, in Jerusalem and Judea, those, um, those Jewish followers did not think much of the Galileans because they were more culturally uh, you know, following Greco-Roman customs in their daily life, even though they followed God's law, you know, they weren't Jewish enough, I guess, if you lived in Jerusalem and your life revolved around the temple. But not just those who had known the law of Moses. People from the Decapolis, which is uh, these ten cities that are quite Roman through and through, and even people beyond the Jordan, beyond the traditional boundaries of the promised land, outsiders are coming in. They are drawn to Jesus' person, 
to his teaching and to the kingdom that he is enacting. These signs and miracles demonstrated Jesus' power and authority, but they also demonstrated his and therefore God's character and the nature of the kingdom he was preaching. So, first, if you find yourself in darkness, know that a light greater than your darkness has dawned. Uh, You actually all have already articulated the gospel wonderfully this morning if you were paying attention in the song that we sang. So I can can preach a little shorter. Thanks. (laughs) Or I could go long. I put more stuff in. No. Um, Jesus proved his love for you by dying for you. He's won your freedom from sin and death. Turn to him and he will save you. Do not delay. He is calling you this morning. And if you aren't sure what to do about that or how to do that, please come pray with one of our prayer ministers in a little bit. We can have communion, and during that you can pray with them. They would love, it would make their week if you went and prayed with them or find one of the clergy after the service. But there's more because many of us in this room already know what it's like to have found ourselves found by Jesus, to come from darkness into light. We know Jesus already. And for us, I would like to revisit two um, important details from this passage. First, Jesus does not imagine a follower who is not also a doer. And second, that telling and doing go together. What do I mean? Jesus calls these first four, and they immediately go into ministry together. Immediately they begin preaching and doing good works so that others may be rescued out of the shadow of death and darkness. Jesus does not ask these new disciples to spend a week, a year, three years in seminary, or a lifetime learning his teaching before they get started doing. Jesus involves them in the activities of his kingdom work more or less as soon as they give their lives to him. Long ago, um, before I was ordained, I was involved in the Alpha program in this congregation, and um, there was a a true um, saint, well, we all thought of her, um, who who did work. If you didn't know any better, you'd think she might be a deacon already. She just was, she was at church all the time. She ministered to those who tended to be forgotten. Um, She frequently read from the scriptures and prayed from this lectern. And we thought she had access to a network of people that might not come to Alpha if she didn't come. So we said, would you please pray about leading an Alpha small group? We'll give you a discussion guide. You don't have to have any of the answers that are asked at Alpha. You just have to come and be with your people. She was in her 60s. She had raised faithful children and was helping them raise faithful grandchildren. And she said, I'll never forget, oh, I couldn't possibly. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I still still need to learn the manual. And she held up a Bible that was handy. That is not the expectation Jesus has for us. 
if he were to come out here during the announcements later, Jesus, and ask you if you would like to become a fisher of people, would you say yes? Do you want the thing that Jesus wants? He will remind us in another passage that the harvest is plentiful. It is the workers who are few. The problem is not with the harvest. We think of it that way, right? The problem is all those people who are out there. You know, if they were just in here, that would solve our problems. The problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers who are few. The harvest will not reap itself. The the fish will not catch themselves. I tried that. Does not work. (laughs) Will you follow him and allow Jesus to make you a fisher of women and men? Because we know this, he did make them fishers of men. He made good on his promise. Those first disciples gave their lives bringing people, helping them, helping them make that move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so by all means, spend time with Jesus in prayer and study. These things are deeply important, essential. I mean, spending time with Jesus is what they were doing. They couldn't become disciples otherwise. But do not neglect the doing, the other side of that same coin. They are inseparable God will, by a special call, ask some to make what will seem to the rest of us like a dramatic leap. Some he's going to send to Turkey. But we need not wait for divine intervention to tell us what good things to do so as to show the world what God's kingdom is like. He's not asking us all to go to Turkey. He needs people in Fleming Island. One of my mentors is, is fond of saying, there is nowhere in the world where Jesus doesn't need more disciples. There is nowhere that there's enough already. So we don't have to wait for a, a divine you know, epiphany of that special thing. If you, if you spend time with Jesus, you'll see what he's like and the kinds of things he'd like us all to be doing And in fact, the the 10 or so chapters after this one are basically just an expansion of what Jesus did and taught. We can get a pretty good idea of what ordinary ways we can step into the ministry of making God's kingdom more visible here. It is close. It has come near. Let's show the world that's true. But even more than the ordinary doings, I would point out that that his spirit lives in you and me and will bring about special gifts that will magnify that kingdom here. Right here in Fleming Island, Clay County, Jacksonville, even St. John's. The spirit of God, the power of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The God who made his kingdom visible the ministry of Jesus long ago lives in us and is calling us all. So what are we afraid of? We've got to overcome that fear of rejection or embarrassment 
and begin doing the work. And I'm not different than you all. Like, I had an alpha card in my hand last season, you know, pre, alpha preseason. I had a card in my hand, was wearing my collar, got home from church, and my neighbor asked me how I was doing, just wanted to talk. And I did not make the invitation. Because, well, you know, I've just moved in, and maybe they'll think I'm weird, and we share a wall, and, you know, like, that doesn't look like what Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, how they responded. But they were people just like us. And we have known Jesus longer than they did. The doing must go hand in hand with the proclaiming of God's kingdom. We must show and tell God's kingdom. We show it in our lives, we show it in our works. But we must also use our words to tell people the truth, that a light has dawned on people living in darkness, that there is good news, and we must invite people to make that same turn to the kingdom. Jesus is calling them. We have to help them hear it. Not just hoping they'll notice, but actually using words. There's no need to wait until you've mastered the theology, until you have all of the answers to their questions or potential questions or the questions they might ask three years from now. You don't need to be a a, a better or more advanced Christian. It is not just for seminary grads or priests or deacons, some sort of super disciples. Most of us have known, I'm going to say it again, most of us have known Jesus longer than the first disciples did before they got sent out without Jesus tagging along with them. So if we're going to be a congregation living out the word that God has given our our pastor for this year, a parish that is truly sent, what can we do? How do we start? First, pray that God would make us into fishers of men and women. Now, I've taught elsewhere, when you pray, you have to pray and then be willing to be part of the answer to your prayer. But, you know, pray that God would make our congregation and us individually into fishers of men and women who are sent out. Secondly, pray for the opportunity to go fishing for people. Third, live like God is going to give you that opportunity. Assume he's going to answer the prayer. So that when you pray for the opportunity and then your neighbor asks you, while you have the alpha card in your hand, (laughs) assume it's a sign from God. (laughs) I suspect if we journal what happens, we'll be very surprised to see that God answers his promises. Now in a little while, I'm going to come out here with those alpha cards again and I'm going to explain the details of it. But the bottom line is we want you to pray and make an invitation. We want you to consider how you might support the work of Alpha. Because not everyone can make the, or not everyone's invitees are going to say yes, but there's other ways you can help that program continue. And so that we together can manifest those gifts. None of us has to do it all alone. Um, And Alpha is a great way that that gets demonstrated. 
So be thinking who it is already. You can think who it is that might respond to an invitation. Don't put the three people likeliest to say yes or to say no so you can get it over with. (laughs) Pray about who God wants to bring here. Who is God calling into a new life? Uh, You can write their names on those cards. One card will actually get put on a prayer board, and we'll continue praying for those names. Um, But hold on to the other one so that you keep praying for those opportunities. Um, Pray that God would make us into fishers of men and women. Pray daily for opportunities to go fishing and assume God will answer that prayer, giving you those chances. Would you pray now with me? Lord, we have not lived up to our own expectations perhaps. So I believe that many of us in this room want to be better at seeing people come to faith. But we know there is grace for us. And so we pray you would help us to overcome those stumbling blocks, those fears, so that we could participate in this joyous work of making your kingdom more visible in our lives and the lives of those we love. Would you fill us afresh with your spirit? Would you give us all that we need for our showing and telling, for our learning and our doing? And it's in the name of Jesus, your Son, who has saved us that we pray.